Hi, my name is Dr. Rena Alau. Welcome to Skin to Surface, a monthly segment where we address important topics related to your skin. This show is intended to serve as an educational resource for members of our community. Our hope is that we encourage you to take a more active role in your skin health. We do not provide any personal medical advice, so if you feel like any of these issues we discuss apply to you, and we hope that many of them do, we recommend that you consult with your board-certified dermatologist for more information. On today's episode, we'll be focusing on skin conditions and skin of color patients. People of skin of color are a diverse racial and ethnic background, including but not limited to African-Americans, Asians, Hispanics, or Latinos, Native Indians, and Pacific Islanders. Although skin conditions may affect any individual, certain conditions, include skin, including skin cancer, which we'll go into a little bit later, can present differently in skin of color. Additionally, certain skin conditions can affect patients with skin of color more frequently with more severity, and even certain conditions are unique to this group of patients. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Dr. Christina Chung as we discuss various topics related to skin of color. Dr. Chung is a local board certified dermatologist whose clinical practice and research focus has reflected her unique interest in skin diseases and skin of color patients, specifically transplant patients. She has published groundbreaking papers on this topic and has spoken about her work in non-white transplant recipients. Welcome, Dr. Chung. Thanks for having me, Dr. Lau. It's a pleasure. So let's jump right into it. So the first topic I would like to discuss is skin discoloration or dispigmentation. And these are terms that reflect both hypopigmentation and hyperpigmentation. So Dr. Chung, as a dermatologist, when you approach patients who are coming in for post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, what is your general approach and how do you encounter these um, issues in skin of color patients? So the first thing I do when I see, when I, when I am uh, treating a patient whose primary concern is dispigmentation, um, I often start by ta- ta- discussing kind of what's happening and why it's happening. I think that's very important for the patient to understand. Um, I feel like dispigmentation, um, I guess primarily hyperpigmentation, is almost the number one um, complaint or um, issue that I hear from my patients, particularly who are um, on the more darkly pigmented end, the more Fitzpatrick skin type five-ish, um, four or five patients. Um, and what I do first is explain to them kind of why people of color, such as myself and yourself, um, tend to hyperpigment. Um, I like to talk to them about whatever underlying issue is causing their pigmentation or their dispigmentation. And then the first thing I really do is talk to them about sunscreen. Um, through the years of, 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 of practice, I've and research into kind of skin cancer and and the risk factors, I've realized that so many people of color are not not counseled or well-educated about sunscreen. So I really do talk a lot with them about the importance of sunscreen and why for people with skin of color that it might not be the number one... um, the one, number one factor in preventing skin cancer, but it may be the number one factor in preventing um, dispigmentation related to age or um, treating refractory hyperpigmentation due to like inflammation from eczema or pimples um, or things like that. So I 
I've kind of shifted my focus to trying to counsel the patients um, strongly about how sunscreen, how, how much sun plays a role in pigmentation and how, how sunscreen, at least for them, may not be so important to prevent a skin cancer, but may be very important to preventing dispigmentation um, and kind of and kind of sun-related um, aging of the skin as as patients age or as they um, as they treat or go down the path with eczema or pimples or any sort of inflammatory condition. Mm-hmm. No, that's uh, a great point. <laughs> oh no, I was just gonna say that's a great point because I feel like that's a great way to convince patients of you know I hear a lot from a lot of my skin or color patients that they don't think that they could ever have or at risk for having skin cancer and they don't need sunscreen and so that's a great you know, way to convince them to use sunscreen is to prevent or minimize the the risk of having that hyperpigmentation. In in terms of when patients do have that hyperpigmentation, do you counsel them on certain safe skin lightening practices um, or laser procedures? So I don't really like to call it skin lightening. I kind of think about for uh, folks of color, one of the biggest problems is just dispigmentation. They kind of get the light skin, the darker skin, the tan patches, and so I feel like one of the um, one of the biggest complaints is kind of the skin is just not even toned. Um, so I feel like what I like to do is I like to talk to the patients about remedies for evening their skin tone out. You know, so that their skin tone is homogenous, whether that's light or dark. Um, I like to think about. I mean, I think that all of us know that within in the aging process, that evenly pigmented skin is is youthful looking. Um, or even if you have eczema and you have or psoriasis and you have dark patches on the skin, you know, most people like to have kind of that even skin tone and don't like to have that that residual darkness or lightness or pinkness that's left over from inflammation. So my go-to product um, is, and I think the studies have shown that the triple combination of Kligman's formula of hydroquinone, a um, a topical retinoid, and a corticosteroid um, is my go-to therapy for patients who are complaining of pigmentary issues. Um, I do think that um, there are recent studies um, that have also proven proven the safety, uh, particularly hydroquinone. I think that's definitely been the um, one controversial ingredient in the past. Um, The triple combination, um, I think, does does a very, very good job. Um, I think that um, obtaining the product sometimes can be a little bit difficult, but I like to definitely start there, counsel the patients um, about proper use of such a product. And then usually I encourage patients to, um, depending on their skin type and and tone, I I like to encourage them to perhaps consider um, laser therapy Salicylic acid peels tend to do a very good job as well if you do them in succession. But a lot of those procedures that can um, cause inflammation in the skin, like laser procedures, like um, alpha hydroxy acid peels, can lead to some inflammation. So really, they need to be pretreated with um, the triple the triple combination cream prior. That's a great point. And um, just to I, I know you mentioned skin cancer and skin of color patients, and I I really want to talk about this with you because I know this is your um, a main focus of your research. Um, I, you know, I often hear from patients that they don't need to worry about skin cancer and that they their pigmentation in their skin or the melanin in their skin protects them from the sun's harmful rays. And I'm sure you hear this as well. And I know this is a, a, a particular focus of your research, but can you talk to more talk to us more about skin cancer and skin of color patients 
and 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 discuss what patient population is more at risk? Uh, sure. So, um, so, so, did you want me to talk about risk factors or particular groups of people? risk factors, and then what types of skin cancers do we see in skin of color patients? And um, and then how? And then when you counsel them, how often should skin of color patients be screened for skin okay. cancers? Got it. So, um, risk factors. I risk factors. So the research that I have done has really been concentrated around um, organ transplant recipients. So these patients are immunocompromised, which means their bodies can't fight off um, anything that their immune system would be trying to fight. And that includes infections. And infections have kind of been the focus, I think, of of, of side effects and and and. I guess, diseases for um, confronted by patients who are chronically immunosuppressed. Um, and I think a lot of times people fail to recognize that your body is not surveilling properly um, and that one of the things that it does not fight properly is um, anything that is aberrant, including tumor cells in the skin so or, or in the body anywhere. So transplant recipients in general, not only are and chronically immunosuppressed folks, that includes you know um, patients with um, cancers, graft-versed host disease, other patients who are chronically immunosuppressed because of iatrogenic or medical um, or medicines. Um, and so these patients um, tend to be at increased risk for all types of cancers. Um, and one of the things that they have recognized, which has, uh, has shown recently, is that um, and this is done by one of my um, colleagues out in California, um, and that that kind of looked at um, a huge population um, of transplant recipients around the country at numerous institutions. They piled all their data, and they what they found was that organ transplant recipients, because of their chronic immunosuppression, die more frequently of skin cancer post transplant than they do of any other um, cancer, including breast or colon. Um, and so we've kind of the field has kind of really been looking at what types of skin cancers and things like that are suffered by um, transplant recipients. And when I started our group, um, Rena, our Dr. Lau, you and I worked together um, at our program down um, at Drexel University for quite some time. Um, we recognize that at our transplant patients were nearly three quarters um, folks of color. And so what was striking to us was that we weren't seeing um, the rates or types of skin cancers that, 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 that had been reported traditionally in the literature, but instead we were seeing different trends um, in the transplant recipients of color, the Asian, the Black, and the, and the Latino population that, um, that we served and that we took care of um, at Drexel. And so serendipitously, um, my group ended up kind of looking at at the trends and kind of what what was appearing, and it's not that they were that the that the transplant recipients of color. It's not that they were not um, at risk for skin cancer. They were just um, it, skin cancer just appeared at a lower rate. Um, but that but even the trends were completely different. So I guess it, to not belabor the topic, not unsurprisingly, people of color who had transplants um, and were chronically immunosuppressed, um, we found that they that the, those with lighter skin tones tend to develop more, um, more skin cancer um, that was related to the sun. Um, and what was interesting was that, um, that, that there were trends amongst just the larger 
racial groups that were that kind of mirrored one another. What was interesting is that when you looked at our white population and our Asian population, that they tended to get skin cancer in the same distribution. They tend to get skin cancer kind of in the sun exposed, head and neck, partially sun exposed, arm areas. You know, we tend to think of basal cell carcinoma and squamous cell carcinoma um, as sun-related skin cancers. <clears throat> and, and, and they were getting these skin cancers, <clears throat> excuse me, in those sun exposed locations. Um, the Latino transplant um, population and our Black transplant population kind of mirrored one another, um, kind of makes sense a little bit more because they tend to have more pigment in their skin. Um, they tended to really develop um, skin cancer in partially or even sun-protected areas like the groin and the lower extremities. But the one striking thing when we started looking at all of our data was that in particular, Black transplant recipients really predominantly developed skin cancer that was not sun-related um, in sun-protected areas like the groin and the genitalia. And we looked into that a little bit further um, across all the races. We found that those, um, that those folks um, who, who, were, who were persons of color tended to get many, many, many more skin cancers in the groin related to HPV. Um, I think a lot of us are familiar with the HPV virus. I think that um, the community um, is familiar with the fact that that kind of is synonymous with the wart virus. I think traditionally we think of the HPV virus in the context of cervical cancer because of the vaccines that have been developed um, against it. So what, what we found to be very interesting was that while it was not the female genitalia, it was not kind of internal cervical mucosal skin, that the genitalia, um, the groin, the penile shaft, um, the vulvar area, that this is where our transplant recipients of color were developing um, skin cancers. And this is completely separate from, from the sun, clearly. Um, and what was most striking was that um, nearly all of our Black transplant recipients who developed squamous cell carcinoma, developed, actually all of them developed squamous cell car carcinoma from HPV and not the sun. Um, and so these are very interesting trends that we saw um, happening. And what, what we concluded um, with this years and body of research is that, is that organ transplant recipients of color are not immune to skin cancer from the sun, their risk factors for this and the incidence of sun-related skin cancer is, is likely significantly lower in certain racial groups when compared to white transplant recipients, and that there are likely an entirely separate um, set of risk factors um, for development of skin cancer in this population, um, particularly in the Black transplant recipient population that until now perhaps has not been identified, and that that kind of is a space for skin cancer research that really needs to be teased out and have resources devoted to. Um, because essentially what that means is that what the, the question that arises from this really is, are we as dermatologists, irrespective of um, treating populations who are compromised or immunocompromised, are we screening for skin cancer and counseling our patients of color properly um, about their risk and how to mitigate it? And are we are we adequately screening the population or the, the population of color um, for those who are at higher risk? Because I think traditionally our tools 
for skin cancer risk, the kind of divide people into higher risk, lower risk are really predicated on sun-related skin factors that um, have been born of a lot of skin cancer research that has been predominantly performed um, from data from the white population. Um, I think that also, I think that this is an area that is ripe for research and really needs um, physicians and and stakeholders in skin cancer prevention to kind of look at even more closely. Um, I think that you know the dermatology community in general knows that um, people of color tend to develop skin cancer, tend to not know they can be um, be at risk. I think they tend to uh, they tend to present at later stages and have significantly higher mortality, particularly for melanoma as well. So I think this is something um, that I think that our field and medicine in general needs to address that one size perhaps doesn't fit all in medicine. Um, and I'm just glad that I've been able to and, and hope to further um, contribute to that, that, that dissemination of information and clarity. No, I mean, that's an amazing point. I think that after working with Dr. Chong and her and um, uh, working on her research projects throughout my training, I, it really opened my eyes and and honestly tailored my approach to, to examining patients of uh, skin of color, pigmented skin, um, and, and really looking at the genital, uh, doing a thorough genital exam, counseling them on their risk factors. And so I think that's all great points. I think um, that it needs to be more, um, I think that it's, it's a growing um, concern now that we're, um, that these patients are not being adequately screened either, you know, or counseled by primary care physicians or their, you know, or their geriatricians. And so, sh you know, shifting, getting that word out there that we need to be more um, focused on counseling these patients is extremely important. Um, so when you talk about your screening model, you talk about, I know that we've talked about this before in the past, but in the past with transplant patients, it's, oh, hey, you've got something, you should go see a dermatologist. Do you think that all transplant patients, even you know Caucasian and patients of skin color, should be screened pre-transplant and then post-transplant, and how often? So, I in a perfect world where everybody was resourced well and there were enough academic dermatologists or dermatologists in general in the communities um, where transplant recipients live, um, I think in a perfect world that yes, most transplant recipients prior to transplantation and post-transplantation should be screened um, or at least should be their risk should be assessed um, and that they likely should be screened at baseline um, pre and post-transplant um, for skin cancer. Um, I think that one of the controversies within the field is what is the best utilization of our healthcare resources. Um, and clearly not everyone needs to be scanned um, all the time, every year, every six months. So what our what the, the transplant um, uh, dermatology group that I belong to, the International Transplant Skin Cancer Collaborative have, has done um, kind of a Delphi panel where we've, um, where we incorporated 97 dermatologists. Um, well, they were dermatologists, surgical dermatologists and transplant medicine and surgery folks from around the country to kind of create these kind of recommendations and, and guidelines, um, so to speak, about uh, uh, skin cancer screening in the transplant population. And um, we ended up dividing it down by race. Um, unfortunately, that's the best proxy that we could use for skin color at this point academically. Um, and pretty much what we decided was that were that folks with a pre-transplant history of skin cancer really needed to be screened, assessed, 
prior to transplant, routinely prior to transplant, routinely prior post-transplant, um, simply because that risk of skin cancer, particularly squamous cell carcinoma, the risk of skin cancer um, is, is just so increased um, in these patients. And because the skin cancers that immunocompromised patients do develop tend to be more aggressive, tend to recur, and tend to metastasize and cause mortality. Um, it was determined among the group that white transplant patients, high risk, likely should be screened within two years post-transplant. And this is all based on, you know, do you have the resources to do it? Um, and that after that, transplant recipients of color likely should be screened within five years post-transplant. And these numbers are because average a time to onset post-transplant of skin cancer is likely, the lag time is likely about average, you know, three to nine years. So five years kind of is right in the middle. And clearly people who are at higher risk with uh, pre-transplant history of skin cancer and lighter skin tend to have um, tend to have uh, increased risk. So those patients likely should be screened um, a little earlier than than the first five years post-transplant. Afterwards, we really have not made any recommendations about how often they should be screened um, and at what intervals. Um, what I personally personally like to do is um, for 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 transplant recipients of color who really have no risk that I've seen regularly, I like to say you know come back at least every two years or so. Um, for for transplant recipients of color, I really do like to see them every year, and because the risk is so high for those patients who ha have solid organ transplants who have had precancerous or cancerous lesions, I really do like to see them every three months. Great. And then just to add to that, are there any uh, tips for sun protection that you recommend for patients for, for skin of color? I know that you know, sunscreen is obviously, as you recommended, a, a recommendation. Are there any certain sunscreens that you recommend for patients who don't like, um, you know, are of skin of color and don't like to apply certain thick white sunscreens on their, on their skin? So I do think that this is a, a, also a field um, in the cosmeceutical industry that needs to be teased out further and needs to be developed. And, and I and I understand that there are um, efforts to do so, but it's very difficult for patients who are more darkly pigmented. Even for myself, I find it very difficult to find um, a good mineral sunscreen that is a physical blocker um, to, to apply that doesn't leave a white paste. There are several nice sunscreens out in the market that do have um, tinted, um, tinted mineral protection. The two I like to um, the two I like to recommend are Coates Skincare, um, mostly because um, Coates is a local uh, Norristown, Philadelphia-based company um, that creates wonderful mineral-free, um, refriendly or, or mineral all mineral re-friendly um, sunscreen. And they have a fantastic foam that is really easy to apply um, that they do in tinted and non-tinted versions. And they have a whole line of products. So that is probably my favorite go-to product. I just, just to support the local businesses. Other than that, the large label companies do have um, lots of tinted um, varieties of sunscreen. The, another, another thing that I do like to counsel all of my transplant recipients of color and even my young um, patients of color is about the HPV vaccine. There is a body of evidence that is coming out that perhaps um, that is testing the hypothesis that um, that the HPV vaccine may really um, help in preventing um, squamous cell carcinoma um, that cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma that that may arise um, 
in kind of in these genital areas. So the reason why we do it um, now for um, all the young children is because of cervical cancer. But I, you know, that is another area and another preventative measure that perhaps isn't widely thought of um, that really may uh, help uh, decrease the risk of skin cancer in patients of color, particularly transplant recipients of color. Great. That's amazing advice. Um, I just wanted to thank you so much, Dr. Chung, for being our special guest. That's all we have for today. Thank you so much for joining in today's discussion about your skin. We hope that you all learned something new today. And if you really like what you heard, then please check out our website at skinthesurfacepod.com. I will also post links to the um, International Transplant um, Organization website, as well as the Skin of Color Society website as well as links for Dr. Chung's um, social media pages and the Philadelphia Phoenix. Thank you all. And as always, stay safe. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm.